Jesus, thank you for the privilege of being together as brothers and sisters. We need you today. I recognize we need to hear from you more than words from my lips or Pastor Brock. We need your presence in our life. And I confess to you, God, there are times when we have been in our humanness, maybe like the children of Israel at the foot of the mountain, and where they remove themselves from the incredible presence of God. And sometimes, God, we carry shame, and it causes us to be like Peter, to say, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. But I pray, God, that instead of doing what the enemy wants us to do, that we would lean in, and that we would discover that you are God, and that you are able, that there is no condemnation when you convict us of sin. It's because you want to heal us. And so I just pray that on our service today, that there would be healing, there would be worship, be with uh, Pastor Brock and Leanne and Ethan. As they lead us, God, I pray that these songs would take on praise in our lips to your glory. And we give you praise already for this service. May we leave here encouraged and all the more as the day approaches. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. Hey, this is fun to be able to uh, sit with Wesley today. It just sort of came to me halfway through the week. Why don't we uh, do a bit more of an interview style? Something really cool has happened in Wesley's life. By the way, uh, his last name is McCutcheon. Have you heard that last name? Um, we are related because Wesley's uh, great-grandpa, Wesley, was my grandfather George's brother. And it's great to have Uncle Jim here today. Um, and it's great to have Wesley's family here today. Yeah, absolutely. Good to have Jim. And it's good to have Wesley's family as well. Of course, Rob and Amanda were baptized last week. And to have your uh, sister Maggie and your, your grandpa and grandma here too. I don't know if you call them grandpa and grandma or not, but that's yeah, it. Yeah, do. you do. Good. So why don't we start and uh, not take anything for granted. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, Wesley, in terms of where do you live, uh, what do you do, and uh, you're young enough, and tell us how, how old you are, too, and all those kinds of yeah. things. Yeah. So uh, my name is Wesley McCutcheon, obviously. So I'm a dairy farmer here in Roblin, farm just up on Homestead Road. And then I work full-time with my dad, Rob, and my uh, grandpa, John, and I'm uh, 21 years old. Yeah, so that's pretty cool, and part of the family business, too. That's a pretty neat story. And that's maybe, maybe not as common in this day and age as it once was, so that's, that's pretty cool. So you were part of a, a recent pretty special thing. Tell us uh, basically where you went and tell us, how, how did it happen that you, you went there? Yeah, so uh, just came back from Ensenada, Mexico, which is uh, two hours south of the San Diego border. S say the name of the place again in Mexico. Ensenada. Is, Ensenada. Is Everybody the, look that up on your phones, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, it was a girls' orphanage, and it is called El Refugio, which means the refuge in English. So I guess the trip came together when my uh, aunt and uncle and cousins were down for Christmas. They live out in Alberta. 
So uh, my uncle said that they were planning this missions trip, and just like everything, if you want me to do something, you go talk with my dad and see if I can get the time off. <laughs> so uh, thankfully, my dad gave me the time off, and my mom stepped in and did all my chores for me while I was away. Way to go, mom. So that was a big blessing. So yeah, we uh, said they were putting a team together, so I agreed, let's go. And there was uh, nine of us that went. So they're from a small town called Paradise Valley. So the Paradise Valley Church, the nine of us went. And it was actually quite a blessing I got to go because it was January 2nd when they asked me. So I said, yeah, sure. I haven't had a day off in three years. <laughs> Our sermon is about slaves today, by yeah. the way. That's the sermon. <laughs> so uh, I said, yeah, sure, let's go. But my mom pulls out my passport and it had expired two years ago, so I got no passport, so I go to the passport office to get it renewed, and if my driver's license and health card didn't both get expired on my birthday, December 15th, so I have no passport, no driver's license, no health card. So, uh, Who are you really? Yeah. <laughs> so thankfully, I was able to get everything in time because I had to wait for my driver's license to come in to get my passport, and I picked up my passport February 1st, and February 16th, I was on a plane heading wow. to Calgary. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. Isn't that cool? Absolutely. Amen. I, um, so just to, to let you know, the aunt and uncle that he's talking about is Scott and Charlotte Babcock. Many of you would know and are friends with Scott and Charlotte, and we appreciate Charlotte over the years, and so that's, that's pretty cool that they included you in that whole thing. So... You've said you went to an orphanage. I know from having gone myself to Peru with Tom and Cheryl, it's pretty moving to go and to yeah. see. You can talk about it all you want, right? But when you see it, you smell it, and you hear it, and your senses, it really does something to you. I know that, so I'm not trying to take away from your testimony, <laughs> no. but I know that. So what was the main purpose of the trip? And uh, just, just tell us what you did there. And in fact, while he's doing that, uh, Chris, find the picture that shows what they do. Maybe don't put it up until he tells us, but we'll put it up afterwards because I, I know there's a couple pictures there that show some of this. Yeah, so the main reason we went a year ago at the refuge, they had an electrical fire which had burned the roof, and when the fire marshal came, he closed down this building so they were no longer allowed to use it, and it was their schoolhouse because some of the girls have to be homeschooled while they're still trying to figure out their situations. So they lost their school, and then down below, they had just built a new kitchen and dining room, so they were no longer allowed to use that. So our purpose when we went there was to get this roof finished and done so that they were able to use it. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the picture here. So this is the roof. This is obviously the fire. Yeah, so you can see all the rafters and whatnot were burnt and everything, and we had to rip off all the shingles all the plywood and whatnot. Was that building usable at all? No, they, the fire marshal condemned it completely until it was 100% finished. Okay. So yeah, and then the one photo of me there hammering in the new sheet of plywood and right beside me, that's Yanni and she's one of the girls at the refuge. She actually just came back from a mission trip to Thailand and that was me losing a race on who could pound in the most nails to her. <laughs> 
So it's interesting you should say the word um, fire marshal. My wife mentioned something. She must have talked to you because I didn't hear this, but you said something about the codes. Yeah, so everything down there is completely different. Like, there are fire codes and everything. So the electrical fire happened, and they, they could just smell smoke, so they had to call the fire department. So they came in, tore out the ceiling and found it, and got the fire out in time. And then the fire marshal came through, and he said, until this is all finished and it has to be 100% done, you guys are no longer allowed to use it, which most things in Mexico, they don't finish it 100% because the taxes raise up so high, so they'll start a project, get it half done, and then just kind of leave it to get those cheaper taxes. But after the fire, it has to be 100% finished. Very interesting. Um, I know Scott and Charlotte or Scott well enough that you went in the name of Jesus, and, and I know that there's believers on your team, and I can tell just by hearing about it. Tell us an experience that stood out to you in your time there. Yeah, so every night with the girls, there was about 16 girls at the refuge, and they ranged, I think the youngest was four years old, and the oldest was around 24 or 25. So uh, every night we'd uh, do worship with them and devotionals and either give a testimony, one of us young guys would, and then one of the guys who came with us, Luke, he was actually a really good guitar player. So every night we did three songs with them, half in English and half in Spanish, so we were all able to understand it because they all speak Spanish down there. Some of them do speak a little bit of English and some don't, but... How's your Spanish? I know about 10 words. So, yeah, that's good. thank goodness for Google Translate, or else I would not be able to have too many conversations. <laughs> so, I remember uh, one night, we had just finished worship, and we did worship every single night of the week, and I said to the one girl I was sitting beside, I was like, do you guys do this every night? She said, see, which means yes, and she said, God is good every day, so we worship every day. <laughs> so, that, that was absolutely amazing, and to be worshiping in two different languages like that, and just praising God every single night, that was just an amazing experience to have. It's beautiful. Why don't we uh, put up some of the other pictures, and if you want to just tell us anything about them at all. So I, I, what I did with this one is I made it a little bigger, so on the right there you can see where he is in the larger picture. I, I pulled you out there. Yeah, so that's some of the girls and us, and then part of our team was there. That was one of the last nights we were leaving. We were trying to get a group photo, but that orphanage, people don't sleep. There's, everything's going on so much, so we weren't able to get all of us in the photo. But that is most of us in the one dining hall. And that's uh, Scott, uh, Charlotte's uh, husband, Scott, Uncle Scott there in the bottom right. Yeah, yeah and if you notice, he never smiles. <laughs> <laughs> go, go to the next one. There, yeah. Chris. And there you are, eating, eating with them. So you ate with with. Yeah, we ate all three meals with them, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and whatnot. We normally started our work days about 7.30, so breakfast was about 7 o'clock, and then we worked till dark, which was about 6 o'clock, 6.30. Awesome. And then prayed with them with every meal, and then that's the team of us leaving. On the far side is Tristan, and then that's his dad, Jerry, with the beard, and then Luke is beside him, and then there's my Uncle Scott, and that's Dawson, which is Elijah's 
roommate, which is my cousin, and then obviously me and my cousin Elijah. That's awesome. It's so beautiful that you went. We're proud of you for doing that. And uh, would you recommend this to someone else? Absolutely. This was an incredible experience that I had. Probably one of the greatest experiences of my life so far. And the amount of work that God is doing with those girls and everything, it was absolutely amazing to see how Randy and Sandy are the ones who run this and how they're giving these girls a faith background. Like, these girls have been through a lot, even at a very young age. There's a lot of human and sex trafficking that happens and some pretty horrifying stories about how these girls have pulled out of it and the faith they have. We were there to teach them about faith, but I'm pretty sure they taught all of us more than what they did. And then that photo was the night we had just, every, we checked the weather before we went, and every night it was, or every day it was supposed to pour rain. But the first day, it was clear and whatnot. Of course, if you're doing a roof, you don't want it raining. So that was the second night we had just beat the rain. We were watching it all day coming off the ocean, but God was good. And I remember that it was the Tuesday morning. One of the girls prayed, Dear Lord, please keep the rain away so that these nice Canadians can finish the roof for us. <laughs> so, uh, and he did. He kept the rain away. And I remember that night we sat down there and they made sure to thank God for keeping the rain away. They don't take anything for granted. Every time they pray for something, they make sure that night they pray or they thank God for what he's done. That's beautiful. And that was really nice to see. That's beautiful. Listen, um, uh, you, fantastic job. Great job, didn't you do? It, really beautiful. He's articulate. And I said to Wesley yesterday, you know, in, in many ways, <clears throat> you can be our eyes and ears for we weren't there, but suddenly we feel like we were there. And so we're really proud of you for going, and it, it helps us. It raises the temperature, doesn't it, for us to think about the world and uh, think about how blessed we are and think about those in the world that we just need to continue to pray and trust God and go. Would you go again? I would 100% go again. Amen. I bet you will. Maybe yeah. some of us will go with you. Yeah, time. yeah. the ministry work they're doing is absolutely amazing. We did a youth ministry when we were there, and we also went to a nursing home and served a meal and played games with them and did that kind of ministry too. So that was really Beautiful. nice to see. Beautiful. Let me pray for Wes, and then we're going to worship the Lord. God, thank you for this. Thank you for how it encourages our heart. Thank you, God, for bringing uh, Wes back uh, safe and sound. Thank you, God, for the experiences that you invested in him. Thank you for the ministry that flowed from him to the orphanage and to the nursing home and the team that went. I pray, God, that these moments would be stamped on their heart and mind forever as they have entered in and begun to fulfill your commission to go into all the world. And so, God, just help us to keep these things in front of us constantly and not to forget how blessed we are and to pray for the world and believe that you have more for us and more for, the, for them as well. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give Wesley a hand. Amen. Thank you, Wesley. Thank you, Pastor Bob. Um, I, uh, I want to start out today. Last week, we, at the very end of the service, we made available to you what's called the feel wheel. And we talked about, remember, Eliab, David's brother, who had negative emotions. So I've... Uh, this isn't the color version, but we've put some more out there. If you want to grab that, there's a couple, few up here. I just want to say something about this because we didn't, and this isn't the message, but we didn't talk about it much. 
A tool like this, God is interested in all of our lives. He's interested in our, you know, He has chosen in His sovereignty to be interested in His children's life. How humbling is that? And um, one of the things He's interested in is our emotions and how we feel. And uh, those are indicators. They can be indicators to us. And our feelings, uh, they have to be brought to the cross of Jesus just like everything else because God wants to heal them. So this is just a way in the middle, it gives sort of some primary kinds of feelings. And when I say primary, I'm talking one of them is sad and one of them is happy. One of them is angry. But listen, knowing that you have anger or maybe not knowing what you have, isn't enough. And as you go out from the circle, if you see anger and you go out and it says, humiliated, bitter, mad, aggressive, frustrated, distant, critical, you're like, why am I angry? What's underneath? What's driving this? Then it goes out even further and it starts to break down that list to betrayed, resentful, I've been disrespected or I've been ridiculed, I'm indignant, I'm violated, I feel furious or jealous. And to really, by the Holy Spirit, allow Him to take you to the depths of what really drives us. What, what, it is, what is it in our life that, that pops up and maybe keeps us from victory or hurts our relationships or, or sort of stunts our growth or acts like a low-grade fever in our life where we're just never quite on top of things. So anyway, uh, if you still want to grab one of those, you can. It's something I've been keeping with my devotions, and at the beginning sometimes I look at it and say, where are my emotions today? What are they telling me? What's happening inside of Bert? And sometimes it's quite insightful. It's quite insightful. We're in the second book of the Bible, Exodus, today. Uh, Egypt is no longer a haven. It's no longer a haven. The symbol of delightful foods, wealth, and fatness is now slave masters, forced labor, and bondage. And by the way, if you've been in our Bible reading, it really coincides with that. I didn't mean for that to happen, but it sure does. We've just finished Genesis, and we're about to enter into Exodus. Um, It's such a beautiful story of Joseph, one of my favorite in the Bible, and there's so much to glean from it, right? Uh, God used Joseph. Five years of plenty there would be, and there would be five years of famine, and uh, Joseph was able to to talk about the dream that Pharaoh had and foresee this, and so they were prepared for it, and God was preparing. He was preserving his people, really, because through this, he was able to bring his father, Jacob, and move their entire family to Egypt so that they would have food and they would survive. There were 70 of them that moved to Egypt. And they were given the best of the land, all right? Some of you know the story well, and some of you don't, but uh, they were given the best of the land. Uh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. And then it put up the the, uh, scripture, settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And so they found favor because of Joseph. And Joseph had been betrayed, he'd he'd been given to a caravan, sold as a slave, and yet now God raised him up. And there's that amazing statement, what you meant for evil, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. And that's such a statement for my life. Whatever you're going through right now, what the enemy means for evil, do not be surprised that God is working in the background. God means it 
for good. And so it tells us in verse 11, he gave them property, Pharaoh did, the best part of the land in the district of Ramesses. So now hundreds of years pass by. And as you know, things change. And sometimes they change quicker than we would like. But things change. And uh, when Egypt was a haven, now it's a haven no longer. It's, it's, their, it's their bondage. So we come to Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Sad statement right there. History is important. You know, some people love history. Some people don't like history. History is important. And so whether or not we, some will engage in it more and some less, but your history is important. Uh, knowing where you came from, it's not everything, but it, it's important. They, forgetting their history, this new king, this new pharaoh did not know Joseph. Fading memories. And so it tells us in verse 9 of Exodus 1, the people of Israel were too many. Um, and so mistrust began to grow. Uh, so here's the kind of things that Pharaoh was saying at that time. If war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and they'll fight us and they'll escape. Verse 11, he says, set taskmasters over them and afflict them with heavy burdens. And it, we, are, we know from the scriptures they built some of Pharaoh's cities in uh, Pithom and Ramesses. Verse 12, the more they were oppressed, this is interesting of God's people, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Now listen, just, just to say a little word here. When oppression comes in our life, we don't stop. We continue to trust Jesus. We move forward. Uh, when oppression, when hurts, when, when things happen that are frustrations or disappointments in our life, we don't stop. Now there's, time to, there's a time to stop. There's a time to pause. I get that. But we continue forward. And they continued forward. So they, they multiplied even more in spite of suffering. It says in there that the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. This thing had gripped them so much so that in verse 13, they were ruthless. They made them into slaves, those that had been given the best of the lamb, Joseph, who had found such favor years before. And now they, their lives were bitter, hard service in mortar and brick, and they worked in the fields. So God had raised up Joseph, right? He had raised up Joseph as part of the redemption plan for them. And now God would raise up somebody else, and his name was Moses, to redeem. The sovereign God works through human agency, and we see it again and again. And, you know, even today when we think of uh, talking with Wesley, God is able to care for those girls, but he, he used Wesley and the team to go and do it. God has chosen in his sovereignty to work through. And so when we say, Lord, what, what is the answer in this world? And oftentimes he goes, you're the answer. My spirit in you. I will go with you and I will, I will give you the strength and the power. So he begins to raise up Moses. So now we go to Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile but you shall let every daughter live. And so now it's come to a whole different fever pitch. Now listen, this may seem like an odd time to sort of cut from the sublime to the ridiculous, but I'm going to do it anyway. 
I don't know what there is about the Nile River that has spawned so many jokes. I, I decided to look it up. I know, personally, Nile jokes, the River Nile in Egypt. I looked at one site, 78 jokes about the Nile. I found another one, 48 jokes. You can go, the top best jokes about the Nile River. So listen, I'm going to give you some of those. And I think, I think, as I thought about it, sometimes, sometimes in life, the things that maybe they're most daunting, the things that are the hardest, sometimes we've used this term, you might as well laugh than cry. Well, we're, we're far enough. I'll give you a couple of the jokes here. Uh, what do you call the smaller rivers that run into the Nile? The juveniles. It's a good one. That is a good one, by the way. Um, I'm only going to give you three here. Uh, my friend fell into an Egyptian river last week, but he says he didn't. He's in denial. And one more, I can't remember the name of this African river in front of me. I must be going Sea Nile. By the way, there's a double pun there, and, and they didn't even catch it. They spelled it S-E-E. -E. I would have spelled it S-E-A, but anyway. Um, and so today, my, my message actually ended up having, and I do mean this, an unintentional pun, because I didn't plan this at the beginning. I'm talking about coming out of denial, and I'm not talking about the River Nile. I'm talking about coming to the place where we admit hurt, where we admit that things are not as they should be. We admit when things are wrong. And whether they're wrong that has been done to us or wrong done by us. Um, I have discovered this about myself. I have a, uh, I have a little, there's a, there's a pause button in my spirit when something happens to me, if, if there was an offensive word spoken against me. We've all had things that have maybe offended our spirit or whatever. I have sort of this place that I go, whether it's a defense mechanism, whether it's a, it's a protective thing that I do, or it's just I think I go into peacemaking, and it takes me two days to say, ow. I'm assuming on the roof when you're pounding the hammer, there had to be somebody that went, oh, because you can't put on a roof without hitting your thumb once in a while. But there's something about in, in the physical realm, when I, hit my, when I hit my hammer, hit my nail with a hammer, I immediately say, ow, but there's something in my spirit that doesn't say, ow, right away. That's just the way I am. I'm just being honest. It takes me a while to see it, to perceive it. And sometimes it's taken a long time where I've had to look back on a situation to see how much it hurt. I, I, I couldn't receive it. I couldn't see it. And, and sometimes that is maybe a defense mechanism, a protective thing. And other time it's a, it's a place that God has to bring us so that we come into the light. Bring it into the light so that it can be healed by Jesus. Living in reality, because when we keep it underground, we're not living in reality. God deals in reality. He deals with truth. The truth will set us free. And so I'm talking today about, yes, denial. This dictator king, Pharaoh, in his fear, power, prejudice, and control with unchecked authority goes so far as to order infanticide, the killing of the male children. So Mo Moses' mother... She, 
sure enough, she does put her son in the Nile, but she makes him a basket, and it becomes a watertight basket and, and sort of sends him off really with trust in the Lord. And we see the world that Moses, the tumultuous world that Moses was born into. And so now we discover Pharaoh's daughter. She goes down to the water. She sees the basket. She opens the basket. There's a baby that is there. And now Moses ends up being raised by Pharaoh's daughter. And so he's being raised under Egypt. As an adult, then, we're going ahead in time. He ends up defending his own culture, his original culture, his own people. And he stands up for the Hebrews. To the point, he ends up killing an Egyptian. And now... Because of this, he has to flee. He flees to the land of Midian. And so he's away from Egypt now. He's been in Egypt possibly 40 years. And now he goes away from Egypt, and he's gone for approximately 40 years, we believe. And he, he ends up getting married. And, and we know about his father-in-law, uh, Jethro. And uh, we, we know some of that. And we'll learn a little bit more. We're not going to get too, too far in the whole discourse here. But... Um, he gets married. He has a family. And now he works as a shepherd away from Egypt. And I just want to make us aware, um, even back in Joseph's time, when Joseph brought his brother Jacob to Pharaoh, he declared to him that they were shepherds. Shepherds were looked down on by the Egyptians, both then in Joseph's time and now in Moses' time. They were sort of the low, the low. And uh, so now we have um, Moses. He is on the backside of this desert. And, and he's in God's school. He is in God's school. Whether he knew it or not, he was in God's school. And whether I know it or not, or whether you know it or not, regardless of what you're going through right now, you are in school. You're in God's school. God is interested about what Bert grows into in his character and your character becoming like Jesus. And so he's always working. God's always working. When you can't see it, he's working. And when you can see it, he's working. When you're on the mountaintop, he's working. When you're in the valley, he's, he's working. And he was working in Moses, just like David with the sheep on the backside of that desert when he was dealing with his emotions like we talked about last. And he was, uh, you can imagine Moses in those lonely pastures and those meditating times and thinking about Egypt. And he was concerned about Egypt. It's obvious by the way he acted and stood up and ended up killing because of it. And there he is in these lonely places away from this home, this odd home, where he was a half-breed between his people and raised in Egypt. And all the time that he had to think, proud and courageous and now in lonely pastures, and God is dealing with Moses. He's dealing with them. So now we come really to our main text, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we read it together? Can we all read it out loud together? During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. So... We have now a, a whole new thing that's happening. The king, and uh, presumably the king who had been there during Moses, Moses, he has now died. Before the birth of Moses, the Israelites had already been abused and oppressed. Moses was born 
in oppression, in a time of oppression. But now something has changed here. When there is a changing of the guard, uh, when we go through a voting process and, uh, and there's, there's a, an electoral vote, there's always sort of those moments of pause, right, where we wonder, are things going to get better? And, and why would they be any different then? There was, a, there was a changing of the guard. The old king died, a new king, new pharaoh comes into place, and there's brief moments of hope. Maybe something will change. But a new king comes along. And so now, not only did things not change, possibly their sorrow increased. It certainly increased now in the sense that they had the agony of the labors and they had the crushing of those moments of hope. And so they're, they're hurt. And this forced them to not only groan inwardly, but to cry outwardly. And, and this is sort of an important thing for us to ponder or meditate on. We're together here this morning. They, they groaned inwardly, but they cried outwardly, louder than before. And God heard them. Uh, listen, God never, and, and remembered the covenant. He remembered the covenant. We could, we could preach a whole sermon. He remembered his covenant. He, God never forgot the covenant, but he was preparing them. Listen, don't kid yourself. God is not only preparing Moses, the deliverer. He's preparing the people to be delivered. We have to be prepared. Sometimes we blame God for things and say, well, God, I'm, I'm still stuck because God hasn't set me free. And God's like, I'm waiting for you. I'm working in you. I'm trying to prepare your spirit, and I'm trying to prepare you and bring you into reality and to bring you out of denial so that you can really wrestle with the things of life. Whatever the case here, they not only groaned, but they cried out. Despair drove them to prayer. Not every cry is a prayer but some are. And this cry was like a prayer to God. I was reading from John Calvin's commentary this week. He reflected on this. Not that there had been an entire neglect of supplication to God before this, but because they looked also in other directions until all earthly means being entirely cut off, they were forcibly drawn to seek in earnest for help from above. So in other words, sometimes we just have to come to the bottom. Sometimes we got to get rid of all the other things that we've been depending on and looking to because God won't share his glory. Because he knows he made it all. He knows that the stuff we depend on aren't trustworthy. He understands that he alone is God. And so they have to come and we have to come to the point where we know that truly God is all. God is all. And everything that we depend on, and man, we've been so blessed. Anything, anything that we depend on that can be taken away from you, is it dependable? How about your bank account? Is that dependable? Got a lot of money in there or a little money in there? It doesn't matter which way. We know that the banks are the ultimate dependability. Are our politicians dependable? What about our health? We got good health. We're de- yeah. Well, we don't, we don't know what tomorrow brings when it comes to health. Anything that can be taken away from us, it's not dependable. God and only God, God and only God and His Word will last. And He wants to bring everyone to that point of understanding that He can be trusted. And he had to bring them to that point too. And they were coming to a point of calling out, coming to the end of their own, their own human 
resources. You just have to get to the bottom. I, uh, we have Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday nights, and on one, one week uh, in our group time at the beginning, we will have a, a testimony, and then the next Tuesday night, we will have a teaching. And uh, we meet together, we worship together, we have a t- teaching or a testimony that night. Sometimes we, we do chips where we're just encouraging one another and our walk of faith and overcoming whatever it is in our life. And then we split into men's and women's groups, and it's beautiful. But in those, often the testimonies, so often they will be about somebody coming to the bottom. They, they just came to a place where, where they couldn't, they couldn't handle the grief over their lost one anymore, and they reached out for help. They just came to the point where that anger just kept coming up and coming up, and they just had to start saying, God, what's going on in my emotions? Why am I the way I am? And they reached out beyond themselves, etc., etc. And it reminds us of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son, he's, in, he's feeding the pigs, and it's there that it says he came to his senses. And so we have that whole concept there's that pressure thing, that pain thing. I don't like pain. Right now, I've got two things going on here. I lost a tooth here. I lost it a month ago, and then I lost another piece of it yesterday. And I'm like, ah, I got to go get this stupid thing fixed. I don't like pain. I don't like pain. But I know God uses pain. I know it from my life, and I know it from your lives, and, and I know it from the biblical narrative. God uses pain. Not only pain, praise the Lord, but he'll use pain. Um, I want to give you a C.S. Lewis quote. It was important enough. I put it on the screen for us. Pain insists upon being attended to, says C.S. Lewis. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to to rouse a deaf world. Quite a, quite a quote, isn't it? Quite a quote. God uses pain. And so there's pressure that's on them. And now they're crying out to God. And I'll tell you what. Many times in these testimonies, a person will say, and I didn't understand it several years ago, but I feel like I'm beginning to. I thank the Lord for that pain because that is when I looked up to God and he changed me. Now, let's, listen, when you're right in the middle of something, it's hard to thank him for it. That's what James says. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. I think it's easier said than done. And yet, I thank God for the pain because it's the thing that caused me to look up to God. This is a really important time for Israel. This is a really important time, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac. It's a really important time because God is about to take you home. And it doesn't feel good. But that wasn't their home. See, that's what we got to remember. That's not their home. And, and God was using an ugly, ugly circumstance, and Pharaoh would pay for it. And God, he's the one who's head of justice. He would, he would deal with Pharaoh, and he did. But he will use those ugly things in our life to take us to the better place. And I don't know what that means. I sort of say those words with fear in my heart sometimes and say, oh, Lord, what does that mean for us? but let's hold on to it. God will take you to a better place. He has a promised land. We often forget the equation when it comes to being set free. We know God, okay, God sets us free. Plus, 
God's appointed deliverer. He often uses human agency, but we forget the third part of it. God getting the hearts of those to be delivered ready. He's working on us because He wants to set us free. He wants to bring us to a new place in our lives. God was preparing the deliverer, Moses. God was, Moses was in God's school, but God was preparing the hearts of His people. They were in God's school. And he will use circumstances in our life that we don't even understand, and he'll use the pressures of life that we don't even understand. God doesn't waste sorrows. He doesn't promise in the Word that he will take away every sorrow, but he promises that he will take us through them. And he even sent his own son to walk through the fire so that he can say, come with me, and he'll lead us through the fire of life. So let's go to James 1-2. I quoted it already. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces. It produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. The Israelites had been in Egypt for a long time. And they were now in bondage in the place that had once been their survival. But what initially saved them physically now enslaved them both physically and maybe less obvious in the beginning spiritually. They were influenced by this temporary foreign land. They adopted the practices of the Egyptians. We know this because of some of the things that would happen here down the road. You remember the whole golden calf thing at Mount Horeb? Where did that come from? They were influenced by, by the new surrounding rather than keeping their eyes on God, their God, the God of their ancestor Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They had developed new dependencies. Why not call out to the gods of Egypt? And some of them tried to, as we know with the golden calf thing. At one time, Egypt was God's plan to save them. But over time, the very thing that God gave them as a gift, it now enslaved them. And it built fear versus trust and uh, who they turned to. And what can end up happening is we can end up worshiping the gifts of God. We've heard this before, right? But it's true. We worship the gifts of God rather than the God of gifts. And when, when I do that, God's not going to stand for that. We have, he is God. Egypt was not their real home. God was. Egypt wasn't their savior way back there. Well, they had big barns full of food. No. God sent Joseph to Egypt to fill those barns with food. God was their Savior. The influence of Egypt is undeniable and no doubt a hindering factor, not only in the physical, but also in the spiritual of these people. Egypt wasn't their home. And listen, this world is not our home either. It's important for us to sort of just insert that. This world is not our home. God is getting us ready for our new home. I'll be honest with you. When I was younger, I got annoyed. I got annoyed by how much older saints talked about heaven. Okay? Pastor Bert doesn't like heaven. No, that do not tell anybody that. But I was, I was, not, I was ready to live my life. I, I was ready to live my life, and I, I wanted to live. I, I, was not, I was not in a hurry for heaven. But listen, God is preparing 
his people to understand that while we're here, we should live and breathe and become all that he's called us to do and to be. He created you for good works in Christ Jesus to, to produce and young people who are here to become all that God has called you to be. But it's not our home. It's not our home. Let me read some scriptures. I didn't put them on here, I don't think. Hebrews 13, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for a city that is to come. Colossians 3.1, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts, the real heart, set it on things above. Matthew 6.19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy but, and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. David said in Psalm 119, verse 19, I am a stranger on earth. I'm a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus. Um, don't get too content, Israel. Don't totally unpack your bags. Now, listen, this had been 400 years, okay? So, but listen, uh, John and I, we, we always sort of, over these last few years, and even more with COVID and the world and weirdness, and we, we always have a few bug-out bags. I don't know if anybody's gotten to the bug-out bag thing or not, but we all have a few bug-out bags that we're just ready to take with us. If our house burns down, we just have some things. I just, I'm, in fact, if you want to have a little comedy routine, come and ask me what's in my briefcase on any given moment of the day because I just do that thing. Keep your bags packed because... Wherever you live and wherever you are right now, that's not your home. Oh, yes, it is. No, it isn't. Not if you're a believer. We have another home. How will we ever get to our promised land if we're satisfied in our present land? They groaned inwardly and they cried outwardly. During that long period of time, the king of Egypt died. And, and finally, they cry out. They groan. They cry out. God hears. He remembers the covenant. And misery finally found its voice. Misery finally found its voice. They called out, we can't do this. Uh, a change of kings didn't work. Uh, God of our fathers, where are you? And God heard their groaning. Misery had found its voice. Often the pain of bodily senses precedes recognition of the poverty of the spiritual condition. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. See, it takes us a while. We, we see a cut on the hand right away, but do we see the cut on the heart? Do we see the woundings of the heart? And, we, and we, would, we would make sure that hand was looked after. If you stub your toe, you limp, and you make sure it's all back good before you walk normal again. But we will walk for years and years with wounds bleeding all over the place on the inside of us. I know they're harder to see, but God, in his love and sovereignty, he exposes them, and often he'll do it through pressure. The very thing that we wish hadn't happened will become the thing you're glad did happen when it leads you to victory in the promised land of God's healing in your life. God was about to take his people on a journey, not only physical freedom from Egypt, but spiritual freedom, because they were in spiritual slavery. He was about to show them his love and holiness, by the way, uh, we're not going to get there but today, for sure, but 
uh, when, when Moses sees the burning bush, remember he gets there, and he says, take off your sandals, Moses, where you're standing is holy ground. It's the first time in the Bible that holy is used as a noun. God, uh, it's been a verb up to this point in the Bible. It's a noun. I am that I am. I am holy. God is holy, and he's going to start showing them his holiness, and he's going to start showing them his love, and he does it by giving them the law. And that's the part in us that goes, what? Because we don't like laws necessarily. We don't love rules necessarily. The law isn't often our favorite topic, yet it was the law that had to set the boundary to show them how to live, how to live in freedom. The law of God was freedom. The law of God was love. We think it of as restriction. Breaking the law leads to misery. But I want to do that, but it leads to misery in our life. Listen, there's so many examples. I'll give you one. My father had a rule. Um, Looking at Mark, my brother Mark, because he was part of this, but my, my father had a rule that we weren't supposed to pull one another with ropes behind the snowmobiles, is what we were not supposed to do. No towing each other with the rope behind the snowmobile. And just the worst rule ever. Just such a killjoy kind of thing. I mean, we, like, we had, we had snow, uh, water skied. We water skied. What do you do? You put a rope behind a boat and you travel behind the boat. Do not do that. I can still picture on my mind. I was the one being pulled, and Andy and Mark were on the snowmobile. As I hit the ice on snow skis, and I, I cut out like I would on water. The only difference is now I watched the snowmobile that was also on ice not stay steady like a boat does. It also began to go sideways. And now me and the vehicle that's pulling me are all going full speed sideways on the ice. And I watched as suddenly the snowmobile goes from ice to solid snow and does this. And I see my two brothers flying through the air. And in those moments, suddenly... The law was not a joy killer, but the breaking of it was. By the way, they were fine. <laughs> you want to stand up and limp or something? <laughs> I don't know. They were fine. I was scared, and Dad was really happy. <laughs> he wasn't because he had given us a rule, and, and it seems so simple, and yet... That's how we live our lives often in this world. This age of grace, it doesn't do away with the law of God. It offers us the power to live up to the spirit of the law, which is the love of God and love for others. God's boundaries are for our good, not for our harm. God's plan for our lives isn't to cramp our style. It is to set us free to be all that he wants us to be. It was interesting. I heard a study a couple of years ago in Ottawa there were, uh, and it was a study of sex workers in Ottawa, okay, so, and it was how much therapy was costing them for their sexual acting out. Now, see, the world will tell you, you can act out sexually, I didn't have this in my notes, so, but you can act out any way you want, and 
you know, we're in control of our own destiny. God has boundaries for a purpose. My dad had don't get pulled behind the snowmobile for a purpose. It's important as believers how I'm called to live, what we do with our bodies, the boundaries that guide how we treat one another, God's boundaries and expectations around sexuality. They are the creator showing us the manual of how we were created and how we're meant to live and to to be fulfilled and to have purposeful lives. So we're, therefore, not to be defined by our desires. We are defined by our identity in, in Christ and His boundaries for me. And it's hard to learn this sometimes. But we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? Not conform to the pattern of this world. Who doesn't believe that? We do. We're not defined by our desires. Think about Moses. I know we haven't got to the burning bush thing. It's interesting. Chapters 1 and 2 in Exodus, um, they just they cover large amounts of time. But chapter 3 just slows the narrative right down. And you walk moment by moment through that whole burning bush thing with... Uh, with Moses. Um, those moments with God would affect the rest of Moses' life. God calls Moses to confront the most powerful person in the land to free a large group of people and lead them to a promised land out of misery. It was to fill, fill God's purposes. But listen, it was for Moses to fulfill his destiny under God too. Yes, it fulfilled God's purposes, but it was for Moses too. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. God's pur- Moses' purpose, his life was caught up in God's purposes. His story would become God's story. His will would become God's will. That's why we are to become like Jesus. Listen, this is easier for Pastor Burke to say than to totally live, but God's working on us. He's working on me. Jesus, we pray this prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that? That's alignment, me aligning myself with God's will. Christian maturity, full discipleship is when we adopt the same attitude that Jesus had towards the Father. You remember what he said? I think it's on the screen. It says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But he ended by saying, yet, not my will, but yours be done. So we are to take on that same attitude that my will becomes God's will. His glory is my glory. Moses accepting this challenge, and, and, and I think next week we have to go into the burning bush. I think we've got to do that. But, but listen, it was tough what God was asking me to do, but it was not only God's glory, it was Moses' destiny. Setting his people free from slavery in Egypt was a daunting task. Moses confronting Pharaoh, ten horrible plagues to motivate the conversation and the movement of a multitude of slaves. Setting them free physically was big, but setting them free from the effects of spiritual boundary, boundary bondage was bigger. The plagues probably happened over a period of 40 days, by the way, but it would take 40 years in the wilderness for God to start getting to the first base of some of the hardness of their hearts because slavery was in them. They were taken out of slavery, but slavery was in them, and it's such a picture for us. God is transforming us by His power, preparing us for 
freedom. Just like he's preparing the deliverers. The people called out and misery found its voice. So in one sense, they came out of denial and God took them away from denial. He did do that. He did do that. Let's, uh, let's stand. Pastor Brock, come. We're going to sing a song of praise. Um, at this moment, and as I prepared this message, I really struggled with this moment. And I still, to this moment, I'm not exactly sure what God wants us to do. I, uh, there's a lot here for us. Um, God, through the, the preparation of this, has been preaching to my mind. He's been preaching to my heart. And he's been preaching to my hands. Those are three distinct things, by the way. God's been telling us, showing us some things with our heads. He's confronting some things in our hearts, and he may be calling us to do some things with our feet and our hands. Um, I'll be honest with you, before I come up here today, I was reminded of the verse of Scripture that says, when you come to the altar, if you know that somebody has ought against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to them, then come back to the altar. And, and I, I, God's brought a thing to my mind that i got to take care of. And so I said, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to do that. Um, so God was calling my feet. He was calling my feet. And he may be calling your feet. Um, and so uh, let's, let's bow our heads. God is calling to us. He's calling us to just a place of deeper reality. And he may be talking to you by his Holy Spirit. I'm sure that he is. He's speaking to your heart. And uh, you've come to the end of your human resources. Um, you're facing a situation. You're facing heartache. You're facing your own negative emotions. or you're, you're facing a relationship. You're facing things that are bigger than you. Listen, they're not bigger than God. But we've got to come to God. Um, letting life, you may be under pressure. Letting life, even the pressures of life, Lead us to seek, seek him. Whatever your situation, are you ready to call out to the Lord? Misery has to find its voice in calling out to God. It's not enough just to have misery. It's when misery call on, calls on God. That's the key moment when, when earth touches heaven and God is there for us. So we're just going to pause here. And if you need to come to a place of prayer, you do that. Come and pray. We have our altar area here. We're not going to be here too long. But you come. Is that what you need to do? You come. We can pray with you or someone else can pray for you. And there's power in, in stepping out sometimes. And that may be what God's asking you to do. And it may be so outside of my understanding what it is, I don't have to know anything. It's God's Holy Spirit speaking to us here today. We're, we certainly want to encourage one another, as the Word says, all the more as the day approaches. That's why we have our coffee tea area, so that we can encourage one another. But there will be some that want to just linger here. So let's be sensitive to this. And you come and talk to God. It's, 
It's about us being transformed and God, he's doing it in us. He's making us. He's setting us free that we would come out of denial that he, by his searchlight of his Holy Spirit, showing us the areas of our life and setting us free. Praise the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your goodness today. We, we just sense that how much we need you. We call out to you today. We feel our own inadequacies today. But God, thank you for your word. It speaks so powerfully. When I think about a scripture like this that I've read so many times, I love the story that you've preserved for us of Joseph and Moses and Egypt. And yet, God, it comes off the page again as your spirit speaks to our hearts. Thank you for that. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be willing to enter so gently into your arms. It's a scary place sometimes when, we, uh, when misery finds its voice. Because those, those things, they're pretty close, close to the emotions of us, close to our hearts. And God, sometimes we're afraid if we bring it to the surface, we'll never stop crying. Sometimes we're afraid if we bring it to the surface that, that it'll blow up. God, you are so tender and you're so gentle with us. I just ask that you would help us to trust you, that you're going to do that next step in healing and restoration and setting us free. So thank you for this, God. You're good. Be with each person who's responded in a physical kind of way today. Be with those here today that you have really been talking to their hearts, God. May we not leave you behind. When we walk out these doors through the Monday through Fridays of our life, God, I pray you'd be speaking to us and help us to surrender, constantly be giving ourselves to you. And, and when we gather to be able to testify to how you're setting us free, you're taking us to the next step how we need you, God. We give you all the praise. You are worthy of it all. May our day and our lips be filled with praise today. May the words that we speak and the, and the kinds of conversations that we have bring glory to you. We, may they reflect it. This isn't our final home. We're just in a, a temporary place. You've prepared a place for us. You love us that much and print it upon our hearts. These things we pray in the precious and the holy name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen.